We uh, now have the opportunity to hear from God's Word, so if you turn with me in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2, we have just concluded our sermon series uh, over many weeks going through the Gospel of Mark, culminating on Easter Sunday with the resurrection accounts in the Gospel of Mark, and now we find ourselves in an interlude between uh, Easter Sunday and the following Sunday from now, when Pastor Dan will begin a new series. I had some discretion about which passage to choose, always dangerous. And so I chose this passage because I thought it addressed the, what are we saved for? On Easter Sunday, we learned that because of the work of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, that we are saved. But what for? And part of the answer to that question is found here in 1 Peter when we find that we are, God is building us together into his church. Let's hear now from God's word. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And... A stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Having now heard your word, we do seek to understand it and apply it to our lives. And to that end, we pray that you would illuminate our minds and open our hearts and ready our will to respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The beeps... The bumps, the commotion, as you traverse its aisles, you will likely be bumped by other carts. You will likely be possibly yelled at. At least the, 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 the hubbub around you will disgruntle you. This is the pleasures of doing business in our local Home Depot here in, in Bloomfield. Many of you have enjoyed trips to Home Depot, and I don't know the statistics. I tried to look them up. It's got to be one of the busiest Home Depots in the nation. This store is crazy. Every Home Depot around here is a totally different experience, but the Bloomfield Home Depot has a special place in my heart because, because of proximity. It's just, I don't want to go, but I end up going. 
in this Home Depot, if, if, if you want to build something, you need to go to Home Depot. It, it has the materials, it, it has the prices. And I, I like, as some of you know, I, I enjoy woodworking, so I like to build things with wood. But what you need to know about wood is that not all boards are created equal, especially boards from the Bloom De Bloomfield Home Depot. <laughs> Many are knotty and warped and twisted and hardly usable. And so if you want to build something and not be stopped in your tracks, what you should do is, one by one, go through the boards that you wish to purchase, and, and, and before you put them on your special cart, you, you stand them up and look down their length to see if they are true, or more, more likely warped or twisted. And, and, and what ends up happening is if you do this process, which I have, is, I don't know, it's probably a ratio of five to one. Five boards that you, you know, put on the ground because they're rubbish for every one board that's usable. Home Depot seems to acknowledge the shoddiness of some of their boards because you can pay extra to opt out of the common boards for the select boards. <laughs> but say like me, you're a fool and accidentally purchase warped boards and now you're too invested in your project to turn back. What do you do? You have a couple options. You can make a special jig to run again and again through a table saw to slowly hone the board back to true, or you can run it again and again through a special tool called a planer, once again seeking to take what is crooked and make it straight. And these are the, the ordeals you have to run through. It's, it's a painstaking, often fruitless, always frustrating work of seeking to mend crooked boards, shoddy materials. And this morning, as we come to God's word and the great construction project of Christ's church, I believe what God's word is telling us is that we, myself and you, are not select boards. We are not choice materials. We're damaged goods. God has called us to live as he created us to be, people who love God and love our neighbor as ourselves, but... We say we love our neighbor, but only as long as they belong to our tribe or our political party or our religious group. We act outwardly like we're growing in holiness, but often inwardly we're harboring a secret sin. We give to the needy, but only in so much as it does not affect our standard of living. We say we'll, we'll stay awake and watch with Jesus, but we fall asleep on the job. We say we'll never disown Jesus, but at the first threat to our job or our reputation, we deny him or are silent about him. We say we will die with Jesus, but we abandon him at the cross. We say we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but like his first disciples, we doubt him even at the Great Commissioning in Matthew 28. We, friends, are damaged goods. We're naughty boards. We're, we're rough stones. But the good news of God's word this morning is that these are the very kinds of materials God is using in his construction project of his church. God chooses people like us, messy, broken people, to build his church. So we see in verses 4 and 5, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him. This is Jesus. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. God is the builder, building off of the foundation of Jesus Christ and uses people like you and I. To get at the kind of materials God is using, he elaborates in verses 9 and 10. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. 
that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. For those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, we acknowledge what God's word says here about us, that we were in darkness, that we were not the people of God, that we had not received mercy, that we were shoddy materials. And yet God is in the business of taking people like that and making them his special possession, making them people who are his people, making them people who have received mercy. And this is how he is building his church. God is in the business of making messy things beautiful, of taking shoddy materials and making them straight in his holy church. So what is his church for, though? What is God exactly building with his church? God has chosen his people not to stand on the sidelines in a holy huddle, but rather to build his church to accomplish Jesus' mission in this world. What he began on the cross, he extends now through his church in our present age. And as Christ's church, we are chosen for worship. We're chosen for war, and we're chosen for witness. We'll see this this morning in God's word, that as these building blocks of Christ's church, we are chosen for worship, for war, and for witness. First, we're chosen for worship. We see this in verses 4 and 5. This construction project begins. I'll start in verse 5. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Peter's going to explain what it means to be chosen for worship by giving us two different images from the Old Testament, but then he adds to here. The first is of the spiritual house, of this new temple, this construction project. And we are the living stones, the raw materials for this construction project of Christ's church. Christ is the first, and we build off of this foundation. And we hear again in verse 6, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Christ is the cornerstone. One commentator writes, In the building technique for which this figure is drawn, the cornerstone of the foundation would be the first stone to be put in place in the corner. Since both the angle of the walls and the level of the stone courses would be extended from it, the cornerstone must be square and true. For if you're off by one degree of angle over a foot, it makes little difference. But over 50 feet, the house falls down. So too with this construction project, it must be founded upon Jesus as our cornerstone. For the cornerstone defines the structure. Everything else is measured off of it. And so we, as Christ's church, align ourselves to Christ, how he lived, how he walked, how he loved. So the end result then, in verse 5, is this spiritual house, this temple of priests. And we see this now transition of metaphors from a spiritual house to a holy priesthood, emphasizing that the construction project is not just for a place to worship, but for a people who are worshiping and offering spiritual sacrifices. 
And this, this priesthood is elaborated again in verses 9 and 10, where it's, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That this priesthood's mission is to declare the praises of God, to worship a God who has called us out of darkness into light, who has made not a people his people, who has made people who had no mercy filled with his mercy. As priests now, we offer this kind of sacrifice to God. See, priests in the Old Testament had a privileged position. They had special intimacy with God. They alone were able to enter into the temple and to to do the business of interceding for God's people. We now, because of the cross and the resurrection and the empty tomb, have direct access to God. We no longer need this kind of of human intercessors. There's no longer any need for, for grain or animal sacrifices that were prescribed in Leviticus because we have the real thing. You no longer need the symbol. Jesus has been our perfect sacrifice. And so our, our priesthood is quite a deal different. Our sacrifice is merely that of worship and of the quality of our lives. And so we can worship God now as the people he has chosen for his church, meditating on his word, singing with God's people as we've done so beautifully this morning, giving thanks in prayer, making poetry and art and music and dance, In fact, as some of you have, and I hope many more of you will, if you join the Bissell family for what I call family worship after dinner, you'll see us playing one of the Slugs and Bugs scripture songs, which you might hear in the children's ministry even right now, and dancing. I get my boys dancing. It's it's very fun. Because we're chosen for worship, It's, it's natural for God's people in light of what God has done for us. It is our organic response. We're chosen for worship. We're also chosen for war. You see, 1 Peter is written by the Apostle Peter, Simon Peter, Jesus' first disciple. Peter had real enemies and real persecution. In his day, under the, the, the rule of Emperor Nero, Nero, Christians were thrown into the Colosseum and torn apart by wild beasts and hacked down by gladiators. Peter himself would be put to death Crucified upside down were reported by the early church by the Emperor Nero. But Peter does not identify the Romans as his enemies. Instead, in verse 11, he says this. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. You see, the, 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 the warfare here is not against some human oppressor, though that was a very real reality for Peter and early Christians. Instead, he identifies here his enemy, this warfare, is against his own sin. And so too famously, G.K. Chesterton, replying to a newspaper editorial of his day, the question was asked, what is, what is wrong with the world today? And Chesterton famously responded, good sirs, I am. It's this kind of mentality that, yes, there are very big, real problems with the world today, but the thing that God has called us most directly to handle, the thing that we're most responsible for, the thing that we have the greatest influence over, is ourselves. And here, God calls us to do battle against our enemy, our own sin, is what the church is chosen in part for. 
And we see here this tension. There's this already not yet aspect to our struggle with sin. In verse 9 and 10, you heard that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That's declared about you now. Nevertheless, there is still this progressive, ongoing aspect of what God is doing in our lives. In verses 4 and 5, you hear this. As you come to him, the living stone, and then in verse 5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. These progressive uh, verb and, and progressive temporal word there, it gets at this idea that God is still in the process of molding and shaping us more and more into living stones, into usable stones for his building project. Yes, we began warped, and right away he declares us as precious and chosen and priests and holy. Nevertheless, there's this ongoing work of him changing us and molding us and growing us and sanctifying us. And this is the work that God is about and why we must do battle, warfare against our sin. Because sin is at war with us. The original word here in the ancient Greek is strateo, which is a cognate for our modern word strategy. It gets at this idea that, that sin is, is, is not mindless. It's, it has a strategy. It's actively opposing us and seeking to snare us. Sin has many ploys, but one of the most common is sin's strategy with the simple lie to divide and conquer its church, Christ's church. The lie is that you can be your own cornerstone. We need not base our lives off the foundation of Christ to, to align to his way of life, what he has commanded us to do. You can be the author of your own life story. You don't need to build your life off of Christ. Cornelius Plantiga, in our bulletin this morning, this quote was there. He says this, In an ego-centered culture, once become needs, the self replaces the soul, and human life degenerates into the clamor of competing autobiographies. I struggle with this. I wonder if you struggle with this. This, I, this, this regression to the idea that we're, we're all out to write our own autobiography. And that's the story that we're living in and that matters most. It's all around us. But Christ here is calling us to a bigger story, a, a bigger reality. To do battle with this lie from sin and instead join into his bigger story, this building project of his church. We're chosen for war. Along this river, barges would dredge up sand and dump it along the shore, and children would sometimes play along its banks. Brian Chapel, a pastor, relates this story of how two brothers were playing on the sandbanks of this river. One ran after another up a large mound of sand, and unfortunately, the mound was not solid, and their weight caused them to sink in quickly. When the boys did not return home for dinner, the family and neighbors organized a search. They found the younger brother unconscious with his head and shoulders sticking out of the sand. When they cleared the sand to his waist, he awakened, and the searchers asked, Where is your brother? And the child replied, I'm standing on his shoulders. We have an enemy in our present age. And sin is waging war against our souls. It's like quicksand, so quickly entangling and snaring us. But at the same time, we have an older brother 
who at the cost of his own life has stood us up on his shoulders so that we might be saved from sin. And so in our warfare against sin, we have this strong defense, Jesus Christ. And we can arm ourselves against sin in our worship of Jesus, where we reflect on who God is and what he has already done for us. This is what worship is. And it steals us against the schemes of sin so that we might be able to do what God has called us to do in verse 11, to abstain from sinful desires and instead fix our eyes on Jesus in worship. Not our merit, but Jesus' mercy. Sin cannot shame us or harm us when Jesus is our cornerstone. Verse 6, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame when Christ is your cornerstone. Worship is celebrating who God is, his greatness, his majesty, recentering our lives away from ourselves and onto Jesus as our foundation. In a narrow sense, worship is what we are doing this morning, gathering together as the church. But it's also much more than that. In a broader sense, it's all of our lives lived for God's glory, what we were made to do. But there's many different voices in our world today. In our digital spheres, you're often seen as valuable as you are popular. The amount of likes that you have and the influence you have. But in worship, we remember that Jesus is the sole audience that we stand before and the one who says you are precious. In the marketplace, consumerism tells us if you buy enough stuff, you might be happy. But in worship, we remember that Jesus has already provided all the resources that we need. We find greater happiness in giving even than receiving. In the workplace, often Wall Street tells us that you are only as valuable as the profits that you generate for your company, but in worship. We remember that Jesus tells us that before we could do anything for God, he has done everything for us. We are chosen not by merit, but by mercy. The religions of our world often say you are as valuable as you are good. If your children are well-behaved enough, if you give enough to charity, if you volunteer enough, if you only use cloth diapers and sell your car for a small Prius and only eat kale, only then will you be good enough. Christianity says, all who receive it, you are God's special possession, not because of anything you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And so the work of Christianity is receiving this grace to enjoy the Father's love and the older brother's salvation. This is our worship. We're chosen for worship, we're chosen for war, and finally, we're chosen for witness. We see this in verse 12. Submit yourself, not that verse. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. See, we are these living stones being built up to Christ's church. But the kind of church we're being built to is not like a medieval monastery, which was intentionally cloistered away from the world around them, but much more like what it says in verse 11, as foreigners and exiles. We're we're living in the midst of people who have very different deeply held beliefs, ourselves. And that is just how God intends it. We're to be among people that in the, in the scripture this morning uses the word pagan, but, what, but all that means is people who have 
different deeply held personal beliefs. Such that God intends for us to be about the business of showcasing a beautiful life and showing God's love to our neighbors. For God himself has made all people in his image and loved all people so much that he came to die for them, to offer them a way back to him to save them. Both Democrats and Republicans, the cognitively or developmentally challenged, the housing challenged, the unborn, immigrants, the promiscuous, the poor, all have God has made in his image and loved so much that he came to die for them and save them. And so as Christ's church, we have this glorious mission to join in the work that Jesus has started to share this good news with them. And so in verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. Peter introduces this idea of a lifestyle of witness. The, the, the manner in which we conduct our lives, our patterns, our behaviors, our habits would showcase the, the foundation of our life. It, it, would, it would affect and permeate and change the way that we live. That we would be witnessing to Jesus in both our words and our deeds. In both what we say, but also what we do. If we want to share the gospel with our neighbors... It sure helps if they trust us first. For the most important questions in life, who should I marry? What should I do? What vocation should I go for? I don't know of anyone who's done a Google search for that. You, you, you speak to the people you trust most to answer the most important questions in life. Peter calls us to be the people in our neighbor's lives whom they trust so that we can share the reason for our hope with them. Peter calls us to live a compellingly beautiful life amongst our neighbors. I remember Saturday mornings filled with the delicious smell of fresh eggs and bacon and really nerdy board games. In college, I had the pleasure of enjoying the company of Todd the computer science professor at Gettysburg College, of which Alice and I are alums. And what you need to know about Todd is Todd loved Jesus. He loved board games. Wonderful guy, very quirky. He was a faculty host of our Christian fellowship on campus. And every couple of months, Todd would open up his home to a bunch of students, and he and his wife had four kids, and like all of us, had crazy lives. Nevertheless, they'd make time to host this very large group of 18 to 22-year-olds and provide them a homemade brunch and, and play board games. And he'd often set aside even 30 minutes to have a sort of a financial stewardship conversation with a bunch of foolish college students like myself who didn't know about savings or investments, try to knock some sense into us. It, it was a great work that he was doing. What do you think Todd's neighbors thought of his life? What do you think the, the college students coming from very different backgrounds and different deeply held personal beliefs thought of Todd when they entered his home and received that kind of hospitality and welcome and love? Inasmuch as we comprehend God's love for us, our lives, our priorities, our patterns of life are transformed. 
You see, we aren't trying to be good to impress our neighbors. That's getting the cart before the horse. It's getting it backwards. It's because of what Jesus has done. And because we can't help but, but respond when we've properly understood what Jesus has done and received that, we, we can't help but respond and worship. Our, our lives begin to change when they're built upon Jesus as our foundation. And so that's only the result of that that the quality of our life begins to change. And more and more, our neighbors are delightfully surprised, maybe shocked, maybe curious have questions about the quality of our life because of the transforming work that Jesus is doing to take messy things and make them beautiful. So more and more, this will be true of us by the promise of the Holy Spirit working in the church's lives, such that at work, instead of climbing over our coworkers to advance, we're seeking to lift them up with us. That at home, we seek to make room at the table for new friends to enter our lives in a world that is increasingly lonely and isolated. That we are people who seek to, in creative ways to make our home a place where our kids love to bring their friends despite the destructive force that they are. That as citizens, we are a people who is slow to anger, quick to listen, slow to speak, even to our opponents. That as drivers, we are forgiving of people who do us wrong. That we more and more are a people who are witnessing to the reality of what Jesus has done in both word and deed amongst our neighbors. This morning, we've learned that in light of Jesus' death and resurrection, that Jesus is building his church, not with select materials, but with warped and crooked and rough materials like you and I. And yet, because he's a great God, he is able to take those and day by day make them more and more beautiful and true and good. And that's what he's doing in our lives. And he's chosen us to continue his work on earth, chosen us for worship, for war, and for witness. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are a great God. You are the potter and we are the clay. We're formed by your hand and we are being transformed day by day more and more to die to sin and live to righteousness by your work in our lives and in our church. We pray, God, that you would continue that work. We pray, God, that you would open us more and more up to desiring that work and uh, aiding that work in our lives. We pray, God, that Redeemer Montclair more and more would be conspicuous in our communities because we are different, and Lord willing, different because we look more and more like you, and we're aligned more and more with your values and your loves and your manner of life. We pray this all in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen.